Every five minutes, someone dies while waiting for a compatible donor heart, liver, or kidney. On a remote island in Lake Superior, a team of geneticists strive to engineer an animal with human-compatible organs, thereby saving millions of lives. But these ancestors are not the docile herd animals they envision. Instead, the project spawns something big, something evil, something hungry. Ancestor by number one New York Times bestselling novelist Scott Sigler is available for free on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Lightspeed. Hello and welcome to the Lightspeed Magazine Story Podcast. I am Jim Freund, your host. In this episode, we will hear Cloud Gazer by Timmy Odueso, narrated by Cristino Ogunade. This work is copyright 2021. Lightspeed Magazine is edited by John Joseph Adams, and our podcast is produced by Skyboat Media. Timmy Odueso's works have been featured in McSweeney's Quarterly Concern, Nobrow Press, Lolwe, TSSF, and more. He is presently a tech journalist at Tech Cabal, where he writes one of the top tech newsletters in Africa. He has also served in various roles at literary and art organizations all over Africa. So, let's buckle up. We're going to light speed. Cloud Gazer by Timmy Odueso The nearest cloud cluster was 60 miles away almost an hour's journey if Bombay went at top speed. The fruit trader had seen it on her way to Sabangari, floating lazily across the azure sky. You don't see that often, the trader had said to the crowd, grappling her basket of mangoes. A whole cluster, untethered, unbothered. What a sight. So you see why you have to buy my mangoes. They've been blessed by the clouds. Zeke straddled Bombay, brought her heels to its torso, and held on tight as its mechanical legs whirled into life. On any normal occasion, she would have preferred the smooth train ride to Sabangari, staring out the windows and soaking in the views of Zazao. But this wasn't normal. The trains would begin at Kachia, stopping at every station in Zazao, between her hometown and the market town of Sabangari, a 30-minute ride turns 90 by heated exchanges between conductors and last-minute passengers. There was simply no time for that. If a cluster had danced so proudly across the sky on a weekend that even an ordinary fruit trader could see it, then smugglers and everyone else would have seen it too. Bombay winnied as Zeke dug harder into its thigh, propelling both horse and rider forward in a speed burst. This might even be futile, thought Zeke. For one, smugglers could have caught wind of the cluster and siphoned them away into Calabash gourds, the thieves. Even worse, the cluster could belong to one of the herders from down south, where rainmakers harvested clouds daily. There could be a white-collared man sitting smugly and sipping ginger chai as he tapped directions into his wind's transponder. Or the trader could have been lying, a ploy to get the townspeople to buy her wares, which wouldn't be the first time someone had lied about cloud watching. 
Every thought that came to her as Bombay's hoofs clopped across the roads led to the same unnerving conclusion. Hassan spitting in her face about using Bombay without permission or supervision. Did she know how difficult it was to get spare parts for an old Andalusian? They don't even import these anymore. Did she know how complicated it had become to calibrate Bombay, to oil his joints? How would he save up for one of those new generation AI Mustangs if he had to keep using his savings to replace the horse's hoofs every time she went on a joyride, eh? Why would she even go to Sabangari on the word of a petty trader? Zeke thought of everything other than Hassan's spittle on her face. It would all be worth it if she got to the cluster before it was emptied. It will all be worth it if she got a few liters, just one or two even. It will all be worth it to see the joy on their faces when they realized her escapades had saved them. Transferring the reins into her right hand, she checked if she had brought everything she needed. She patted the imam's gog, which bobbed on her chest. No more than five minutes old, you hear? The imam have said. We need the freshest you can get, or the medicine won't take. Her satchel, which contained every cobble she could find in the house, was buckled around her waist. Cloud water was expensive, fresh ones even more so, and she feared what they had wouldn't be enough. So she brought his old Tacoba along. He wouldn't mind, she told herself. After all, this was all for him. The steel sword was sheathed and strapped across her left thigh. At first, she'd only picked it up for protection, sure that any road bandit who saw the tiny rotating teeth whizzing across its edges would retreat. But as she removed the weapon from its hold, Zeke remembered the pride in her grandfather's eyes as he carefully polished the blades with olive oil on Saturday mornings. She remembered sitting with her brother, listening to her grandfather gloat about it. They don't make them like this anymore. Pure steel, copper wiring. Now that cheap... Pure steel, copper iron. Pure steel, copper wiring. Not that cheap... Sh pure steel... <clears throat> they don't make them like this anymore. Pure steel, copper wiring. Not that cheap bronze-shelled nonsense those wannabes carry around. Hassan whistled and teased. But Baba... You know, if we sell it, we could buy a good house in Kajuru and even have enough for a Mustang or two. Her grandfather would glower at a laughing Hassan, point the tip to him and say, The only way you will sell this sword is if I die. He would die if the sword wasn't sold, she decided. The disease had spread. The imam said her grandfather would never walk again, and if nothing was done, he would soon never breathe again either. Over the course of the month, she and Hassan had traipsed the many towns of Zizal on weekends in search of pharmaceutical substances. Hassan straddling his biotech steed, and she gliding along the railways. Fermented hibiscus leaves from Kaura, sour howdy beast milk from Kafanchan, even a hundred-year-old honeycombs from the luxury stores in Kajuru. They'd gotten everything the imam needed to make Baba's medicine all except fresh cloud water. Everyone knew the only way to get fresh cloud water this far up north was the farm at Kajuru, where they had a rainmaker. But the farm was only opened on weekdays. Weekdays were for work. 
her son working at the factory recalibrating wonky limbs, and she in one of the customer care cubicles of Wins Inc. registered, listening to people drone on about what was wrong with their transponder app. Even if there was a way they could escape work into the tepid sophistication of Kajuru, they would have to sell the antique Tacoba, Bombay, their small house, and their limbs before they could afford a meager liter of fresh cloud water from Kajuru's cloud farms. She would even consider it trading limbs, perhaps her arm from the elbow down on the black market. The sale would certainly be enough to fetch enough money to buy a few gallons of fresh cloud water and a cheap new arm, perhaps one of brass with copper wiring. Or she could save up to buy a durable fiberglass and titanium one that was waterproof. In the end, she decided against it, after Hassan had told her how steel sickness would kill her when her body began rejecting the jury-rigged arm. This was their last resort, she was sure racing to do the very thing they'd seen the Hizba in prison people for. They'd done everything else, begged their neighbors, request loans, even peddled the black markets for smugglers who had a few leaders to trade. But no one softened when they told them their grandfather would be dead in a month if they didn't find fresh cloud water. He hadn't said it, but Zeke knew that Hassan had resigned to fate. On the weekends, He'd taken to flinching every time Baba tried to talk, thrumming deeply when she wheeled the old man out so he could gaze at the empty sky, or skulking at the door as she fed him cocoa through a straw. To escape Baba's stagnant stares and Hassan's heavy gloom, she began taking long walks around the streets of Katya. Her eyes affixed upon the sky as the imam's gog nodded on her chest. With her gaze on the heavens, she missed everything in front of her, tripping over a scavenger's wheelbarrow once and having a dazed loon chase after for purportedly trying to skim his precious scrap metals, stomping into many oily puddles that left her boots slimy and stumbling into dazed pedestrians, including an off-duty Hizba official who threatened to detain her until she handed him a few cobbles. When they saw her on the street with her head lifted up and the wooden vial dancing between her breasts, the people of Katia whispered among themselves and blessed Zeke with a new moniker. Here comes the cloud gazer, they would taunt. Careful she doesn't trip you. And Zeke, whose ears perked up at any mention of the word cloud, would have her head darting in all directions, trying to find what she desperately needed. This was how she'd come across the fruit trader's sermon. The cloud gazer had been wandering across Katia, searching the skies for white fluff. On Bombay, she zipped past railways, holding on tight to the steed's reins, as wind slammed into her whenever a train came gliding beside them. She never understood why Hassan wanted to buy a new horse. Bombay was the fastest thing she'd ever ridden, faster than trains and certainly faster than walking. He would be angry she had taken the horse without his permission, but Zeke was sure that a solution laid in wait at Zabongari. She was sure she would return to Katia with something that would paint a smile across Baba's face and bring Hassan's laughter well into the surface. And for that promise of joy, for the imminent laughter she believed was at the top of her tongue, she would gladly sell the Takuba. And even Bombay. When heavy smells hit her, Zeke knew she had reached Zabangari. 
for everyone knew that one would smell the market town before one would hear or see it. The malodorous emulsions and enveloping hello paving the way for raucous sounds to caress ears. She resumed cloud gazing, her eyes zipping across the empty skies as the sounds of the market town filled the air around her. They met her at the outposts, the traders, and they grabbed at her shins even before she slid through the gates of the market, calling her to their wares. One waved diaphanous bags filled with silicone at her and argued that his prices were the best in the market for fleshwork. Another rubbed the metallic sheen of Bombay's fur and told her he could get her a good price for her steed. Others stretched their arms and gestured for her to follow them. I have the silkiest microsteel fabrics. Soft but steady. Bulletproof, too. You are in the presence of the best connoisseur of palm wine in the whole of Sabongari. Let's go to my stall. I will give you some samples, a special cask of rambutan and wine you would love. The traders of Sabongari were modest about their wares, assertive about their trading calling out for patrons, unlike the shop owners at Kajuru, who sneered at customers and promptly ushered out anyone who attempted to haggle prices. She ignored them all, her eyes fixed on the empty skies. Her hands led Bombay away from the many stalls haphazardly scattered around on the dusty cracked roads. The traders saw that their words would not entice Zeke to visit their stalls, and they began to fall away like dead petals off rose stalks, returning to their outposts to seduce other visitors with their attractive prices. One by one, the crowd around the cloud gazer thinned until only the flesh worker remained. The man stuck his silicone bags into his kaftan pockets and took instead to telling Zeke about his certifications as he followed her on foot. He was the only one in the whole of Sabongari with the skills to use reinforced keratin and calcium. Did she know? Did she? For a small price, her nails and teeth could be as strong as steel. And they'll weigh the same, he added. She needn't worry about his certification, he comforted. He had studied biometallurgy from the University of Pangaea. In fact, I am one of the few peasants in Zazel who has successfully practiced neuro-wiring. Then why are you here, Zeke snapped. With her wandering eyes finding no signs of cloudburst in the skies above, Zeke's apprehension had grown heavy and weighed down the happiness she was sure she would find in Sabongari. The flesh worker's recitation only added to the weight. Why what? the man asked. Why are you here? she hissed. If you're so good at splicing metals into bodies, why are you in this dump? Why aren't you working in one of those fancy auto clinics in Kajuru? The man smiled sheepishly. Well, there's this small problem of my certification, he confessed. I'm still waiting on my certificate, but once I get it, I will be as revered as a rainmaker. When he received no reply from Zeke, he increased his pace and stopped right in front of Bombay, who whinnied to a stop. Why are you here then? You've been wandering about for a while. Perhaps if you tell me what you want to buy, I can help you out. Clouds, Zeke said. I'm looking for fresh cloud water. The man grimaced. His nose crinkled as he said, There is no fresh cloud water in Sabongari. Everyone knows this. There's a cloud farm at Kajuru. 
That's the only place you'll find it. He turned away from the steed and made to walk away. I can't afford that, Zeke announced. I'd heard there was a cloud here today. I just need a few liters. That was a stint by the Hisba. There was a cloud here. The man admitted turning around. But I'm afraid it was planted to catch smugglers and illegal harvesters. Bombay creaked as Zeke sank lower into his back. The rain slipped from her fingers. Bombay creaked as Zeke sank lower onto his back. The rain slipped from her fingers and her face clouded up. Her hands raced up to clutch the vial on her chest as she quietly began to sob. She thought of her grandfather, sitting at home waiting for a medicine he would never get. She thought of her son, who didn't seem to be able to decide which was more precious horse or family. She thought of herself gliding across the plains, looking for something everyone knew she could never afford. You don't look like a smuggler, the fresh worker said abruptly, patting Bombay's muzzle. What could you possibly need fresh cloud water for? For the first time, Zeke looked at the trader. She could see that his eyes had been augmented. They flashed a vibrant blue that seemed to make a quiet whizzing sound. He had high cheekbones and his lips were pursed as he watched her eyes run over his kaftan. My grandfather, she finally replied. We need it for his medicine. The fleshwalker grimaced, turned left, then right, and leaned in closer to Bombay's back. There are other ways, you know, he began quietly. I cannot get you fresh cloud water, but I can get you the money you need to buy some akaju. Sneering Zeke said, You think I'm stupid? I am not selling my arm. I know about steel sickness. I know how you flesh workers are. Steel sickness? Only a rookie would make such a mistake. If there's anything you should be worried about, it's getting a second-hand arm with ghost touches. Besides, we wouldn't take the whole hand. A finger should be enough. A finger didn't seem too bad, Zeke thought. Perhaps if she'd made enough off it, she could even get an augmented replacement. Maybe a thermoplastic one that could glow in the dark, or something cheaper like one of those steel ones she'd seen that could store data. Yes, a finger didn't seem too bad. She wasn't Hassan. She knew what was most important to her, and she would sacrifice something for it. If a finger will be too personal, the flesh worker began, then you should know that there are as many things to sell as there are to buy here, he said patting Bombay again. An antique and delusion will fetch a lot here. He leaned in closer and whispered how much she could get for a finger and for a horse. Joy cannot come with that sacrifice, he proclaimed more fully. Something cannot grow from nothing. We all have to give to receive. Zeke's eyes widened at the numbers she had heard. She shifted her gaze to the sky, sweeping for clouds one last time. When she found none, the cloud gazer turned her eyes away from the heavens, fixed them upon the flesh worker, and said, How do we begin? Welcome back. 
You've been listening to Christina Ognade reading Cloud Gazer by Timmy Odueso. We hope you enjoyed it. If so, please help spread the word by leaving a review or rating at iTunes or the social media venue of your choice. Our editor is John Joseph Adams, and this podcast is copyright 2021 by Adamant Press. Our sponsor this month is Tor Books, featuring Dune, The Lady of Caladan, by Brian Herbert and Kevin J. Anderson. As a listener to this podcast, you know that we publish it and most of the rest of our content for free online. If you don't already support our Hugo Award-winning journal, please consider checking out our many options, including ebook subscriptions and recurring patronage, at lightspeedmagazine.com support. Skyboat Media, the most respected independent audio production team on the West Coast, produces the stories for this podcast. They are headed by the Audi and Grammy Award-winning narrators Stefan Rutnicki and Gabrielle DeCure. Be sure to check out their website at skyboatmedia.com. Post-production was by C'est Moi. Our music and sound logos were composed and performed by Jack Kincaid. Thanks for listening. That's all for now. See you on the Bitstream. I'm Jim Freund, wishing you cheers from all of us at Lightspeed. Contained herein are the heresies of Radolf Buntwine, erstwhile monk-turned-traveling medical investigator. Join me as I uncover the blasphemous truth of a plague-ridden world, that ours is not a loving God, and we are not its favored children. The Heresies of Radolf Buntwine, coming January 2nd, wherever podcasts are available.